Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Who is like the wise, and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is full is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this is also vanity. And I commend joy for man. I, I commend joy, for man has no good thing under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful. For this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the busyness, the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep. Then I saw all the work of God that cannot find out, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. This is the word of the Lord. Hi. I would have broken that before the the service was over, so I moved it. Um, I have two things to mention before I pray and get going. First, um, many of you know, many of you don't know, um, Tifa and Reed and Dan and Jenny. Um, They led, actually Tifa, Reed, and Dan led our music. Last week, um, Jenny has a very special part to play in the band um, that you don't ever get to see. But uh, they, um, they, they've been friends of ours for a year and a half, two years maybe, a um, year and a half or so. Um, they uh, came to us about a month ago, a little over a month ago, and said, hey, we need to belong to a church. <laughs> and um, we said, that, that'd be great. So like, that's the response you'll get from us most of the time if you come and say, hey, we want to belong to a body. Um, and, and one of the things about what they do, they, they have two different bands. This is going somewhere, I promise. Um, one's called the Autumn Film, one called Page CXVI or Page 116 or whatever you want to call it. Um, <clears throat> Page CXVI has um, essentially a ministry where they, they've, they've, they've begun the process of artistically rewriting hymns. 
And then they go into churches and play those hymns um, and lead worship in churches. Uh, so they travel a lot. They're, they're gone a number of Sundays a year. And one of the things that they've asked from us, and we've said, hey, we, we want to be able to do this for you, is to be able to come alongside you. And when you're on the road, when you're traveling, and you're not here with us at home on Sundays, we want to pray for you. Well, they're leaving this week. I think, I don't know what day, but soon this week um, to go to Arizona. I think they're going to California as well. And I just wanted to make you aware of that. Um, you can kind of keep track of them um, on their website, pagecxfi.com. But we just want to pray for them, support them. Um, it's hard to be on the road. It's hard to travel. It's hard to be away from home. It's hard to, hard to be away from friends and a church body. And so just as a community, as one of our pastors, I just want to call you to pray for Tifa, Reed, Dan, and Jenny um, as they're gone, as they're traveling. And if you haven't met them, they're sitting right here. And so you should meet them after the service, get to know them, ask them um, fun road stories about driving and playing and those sort of things. Okay? So that's the first announcement. Second announcement. We are going to do a baptism on Easter. We, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Um, and we have a couple of people already that are going to be baptized. If you want to be baptized, if you um, want to publicly kind of declare your faith in Jesus, um, identify with his death and his resurrection um, so that you die with Christ, you're raised with Christ, um, we want to, we want to um, help facilitate that on Easter. So in a couple of weeks, um, two weeks exactly, we'll post this on the city. We're going to meet here on Sunday afternoon to talk about baptism. Um, it's no, like, test or anything. We're just going to talk about what it is, what it means, um, hear a little bit about your story. Um, we'll post this in the city, but if, if you're interested, I'd love to talk to you after the service. I'd love to talk to you tonight, um, but that's coming. Okay? Are you ready for Ecclesiastes 8? <laughs> it's getting more enthusiastic as we move through Ecclesiastes, which is good. I think you're getting numbed to the darkness. So um, <clears throat> let me pray for us, and uh, we get going. Father, I feel a, a particular burden tonight for, for those whose hearts have grown cold and numb. To those who, who, they've lost a sense of wonder. They've lost a sense of the reality that they live their life before the very face of God. And so, Father, I, I pray that, that right now we wouldn't just do another sermon or teaching but God, that your spirit would come and add weight and power and significance to these words. That, that as we begin to talk about what it means to stand before a king, what it means to stand before the king. God, I pray that your spirit would come and make us keenly aware that we stand before the king. That all of our lives are lived before your face. And so God, I please plead with you to come. God, that your presence would be felt in this room, that would be aware of the fact that you are there. God, that you would stun us again with the reality of the awful, glorious reality of your existence. That you simply and absolutely are. And so, God, come. I plead for your help. God, I pray for self-forgetfulness. I pray, God, that, that people would forget about me altogether. In the next 40 minutes or so, God, we would have our eyes opened to your greatness, to your bigness, to your power, and that we would tremble before you. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Um, there is something under the sun that I have observed and my wife has observed. 
And it's a fascinating thing to observe. It's a disturbing thing to observe. But we have observed it, and I want to share it with you. You ready? Um, It's this. It is most often a girl who's dating a guy who goes on and on about how great this guy is. He's an amazing guy. He's a passionate guy. He's a driven guy. He's a successful guy. He's a smart guy. He's a terribly good-looking guy. He's amazing Brian, I want you to meet this guy. I, I, you're going to love him. And then you meet him. And he's not good looking. And he's dumb. And he's lazy. And I don't love him. And, and this, this false sense of the, this idea that where a girlfriend or a boyfriend has created um, in their mind who this person, they think this person is. But he's not them, or she's not him. She's not her. Hopefully she's not him. (laughs) Confusing. (laughs) You're really confused, and I can't help you. Um, I'm afraid as we come into this text that a lot of us have have come to a knowledge of God and and an understanding of who he is that doesn't square with what's in the Bible. I'm afraid that, that we have kind of painted in our mind, kind of an understanding of who God is that's more what we want him to be like or what we kind of imagined he might be like. We've taken this, this maybe picture of, of ourselves and how nice we are, multiplied at times a lot for most of you, and that's become God. A nice God, a grandfatherly God, a God that we like to imagine is there. And preachers don't help with this. Authors of Best-selling books don't help with this. They strip away the image of God that's maybe in the Bible. They leave what's, what's more appetizing to our culture, what's more acceptable in our world. And they strip away the reality of the God who is there. He becomes more acceptable. More like somebody you, you can relate to. Somebody you like. But the whole idea of fear is just jettisoned altogether. The whole idea that, that our first reaction when standing before the God of the universe should, should, should be to tremble, to question whether or not we, we should be standing in this way or speaking in this way, that there should be an ounce of, of fear, of terror that comes over us when we stand before this God. It's just stripped away. And what we're left with is is something less than the God who is there. And I had a conversation with someone um, a couple months ago. Dan, you were there. And and we we got into this discussion about about, um, the reality of, of, of... certain aspects of teaching certain things about God and how um, for a number of people, when they hear certain things about God, realities like hell or realities about his sovereignty or his providence, uh, that, that the effects of that sometimes can be that they don't want anything to do with that God. So they, they run the other way. And, and, and so this person um, shared with us that their opinion that, that perhaps maybe it's okay if, if there's some people who kind of strip some of that away or cover that up or paint it in a different color. Because at least then God can become palatable. Maybe, maybe then people who would have nothing to do with God, that they can then come and have something to do with this God. But the problem is, is that 
when you strip away all that makes God terrifying, you don't just gut God of, of, of kind of the pieces of him that, that, that you don't like and, and you're kind of left with at least mostly God. You kill God's very identity. You strip him of, of what makes him him. You, you, you conform him to what you want him to be like rather than what he actually is. And so tonight, I, this is a hard text. Um, we're going to take a few weeks off from Ecclesiastes after this, and we're going we're to narrow our, 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 our scope and, and look specifically at the last week of Jesus' life leading up to Easter. But in God's providence, he brought us this text, which talks about what it means to stand before a king. And, and, and we're going to go to Mark, and in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about Jesus as he journeys to Jerusalem. And, and one of the most amazing things about Mark's gospel is that he takes um, his whole gospel and he builds it around two big themes. One, Jesus is king. So it fits. That's a masterful sermon planning. You should all stand in awe of my skills. Two, talks about how this king is going to a cross. And how nobody wants a king who goes to a cross. So it fits. And again, you should all stand in awe of my sermon planning prowess. But, but let's look at this text. Um, Solomon begins here. He says, look, who is like the wise? Who knows the interpretation or the meaning of a thing? Um, a man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. I want to focus on this first phrase. We'll come back to the second one later. But he talks about this, that, that who is like the wise? In other words, what it means to be wise is to be able to look at something and see its meaning. So, so he's, he's setting the stage for where he's about to go, and he's about to talk about what it means to stand before a king, like a ruler. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so what it means to stand b- b- before this political ruler, um, he's about to talk about details of it. He's about to talk about how you should act there in front of the king. Uh, but before he goes there, he wants us to know that when I'm describing this to you, you need to see something else there. In other words, I'm not just talking about kind of practicalities. If you ever happen to find yourself at the White House. Yeah. Um, or, or before the King of England or Queen of England. They don't have a king right now, do they? No. Um, I don't know very much about England. Okay, so <clears throat> he, he's not just talking about kind of the political ramifications of how you should act if you go to a White House dinner. Or if you should um, find yourself at Buckingham Palace at a whatever sort of dinners they do there. Um, he, 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 he's not just talking about that. He's saying, look, I'm going to describe this to you, but the wise will see behind it. The wise will see that there's a meaning here that, that I want you to grasp. And so I want to try to make that meaning as plain as possible. Because oh, so few of us are wise. I included myself in that. Okay. So, so I want us to see. So first, he talks about a king, and he says this, keep the king's command, because God has made an oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. In other words, don't, don't rush out in, 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 in the awareness that you might dishonor him. That in ancient times, if you turned your back on the king, it was as if you were dishonoring him, you were turning your back on the one that had all authority and all power who stood before you. So if he speaks a command, obey it. And don't rush out. Don't, don't treat lightly the fact that you're standing before this king, this one who has absolute authority. 
Don't take your stand in an evil cause. Um, evil here, th- th- this phrase has to do more with um, kind of trying to overthrow the king or rebel against the authority of the king. Don't take a stand in that sort of evil cause. Why? Because he does whatever he pleases. The word of the king is supreme. And who may say to him, what are you doing? So at the center of this respect that that Solomon commends that all of us show a king, that that you should keep his commands, you shouldn't try to overthrow the king and rebel against the king, Um, that you you, um, shouldn't rush out of his presence in, in fear that you might do something to dishonor him, you shouldn't be hasty or rush about when you're in front of him, you should be very methodical and intentional and think about every action that you perform in front of the king. The reason why is because this king, he does anything he wants to do. Whatever he decides to do, whatever he pleases, whatever he thinks would please him in that moment, he can do. So if he wants to kill you, he can kill you. If he wants to exalt you, he can exalt you. If he wants to make up a crazy rule about everyone having to walk on their hands, he could make a crazy rule about everyone having to walk on their hands. That the king stands in absolute authority, uh, able to do anything that he pleases. His word reigns supreme. There's no word beyond the king's word. The, The word gets to describe and define what it means to live before him, what it means to live in his realm. He can do anything. He does whatever He pleases, and there's no one that he has to answer to. There's no kind of court of appeals. There's no judicial branch in a kingdom. Now, I know all of you know exactly what it's like to live in a monarchy. So you get this. You're totally squared with Solomon. You know what it's like. But but just try to imagine. I I tried to think of like a billion analogies, and I couldn't think of any. Um... So just deal with it. No funny, cute stories tonight. Okay, just a king, absolute authority. His word rules. Max, if he says jump on your hands, you have to jump on your hands. Whatever he decrees, he does, and he doesn't answer to anyone. There's no judicial branch. There's no Congress waiting to impeach him because of misconduct. There's no one there that he has to give an account to. No one there that he has to say, that can say to him, what are you doing? His word rules. It reigns. If we were under a king, whatever the king did, we'd have to submit to. There's, there's no one that he has to answer to. He has absolute authority. Which means when you come before this king... It should bring a little bit of sobriety to your life, right? Keep going with me in your imagination. Um, maybe we should get someone up here to pretend like they're a king. We could have done that. A crown on Dan's head, robe, scepter. No. <laughs> he would have taken that to heart. Um, <laughs> so when you stand before someone who has, in Solomon's words, Power over man to his hurt. In other words, you stand before someone, there, there's no giving, um, he doesn't have to give an account to anybody. He doesn't have to answer to anyone. He is, his rule, his, his word rules supreme. So much so that he can hurt you if he chooses. 
He can destroy you if he chooses. If he orders your death, there's no one going to stand around and say, whoa, 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 that, that seems a little harsh. He has absolute ruling authority. When you stand before someone like that, like it, it changes everything, right? If you're before the face of this king, then you don't just rush out, right? You, you, you don't want to trip over something. You don't want to knock something over. You don't want to accidentally, through wrong protocol, offend this king. You don't want to be seen as someone who questions his authority, who, who, who says that he shouldn't be king. It changes the whole course of your life because here is one with power. Who can understand the meaning of a thing? We don't have a political king. Um, Well, we kind of do. Each man is his own king. But we stand before God who is king over and over and over and over again in the Bible. He loves to call himself Lord, the absolute one, the one with absolute authority whose word reigns supreme. Psalm 115 says, our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. And so maybe you can't relate to a political king, but you need to know that this describes not just a political king, but our king. Our God is in heaven and he does whatever he pleases. None of us are like this. None of us are like this. Even my six-year-olds, they're not like this. Praise God. But all of us, we get constrained by certain things, right? Like, like um, we don't want to go to bed, but we realize we have to wake up at six, so we go to bed. We don't want to wake up at six-ish, 30, 8, 8.30, 8.30, in Colorado. Um, but... We have a job and we need to get a paycheck. And and so we set an alarm clock and we get up when we don't want to get up. We would eat Park Burger every single day for lunch. And some of you do. You should stop. We we, we want to eat certain things, but we know that if we do, we'll have heart problems and we'll um, we'll die. (laughs) Yeah. Um, We... We don't want to stop at, at, at a certain number of drinks, but we have to because well, we have to drive home and, and there's, there's laws constraining that. We, we, we don't want to mow the lawn on a Saturday. We want to watch basketball and then baseball and then football and then basketball and then baseball. And we, we, want to, we want to watch college football on a Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock. I don't want to mow the lawn. I don't want to fix my daughter's bike. I want to watch football. God's not like that. He does whatever he pleases. Nothing constrains him. Nothing comes to him and says, what are you doing? That he has to answer to. You see, his word rules 
supreme, whatever he decrees, that is how it is. There's no arguing with God. There's no negotiating with him. He's not there trying to figure out, oh, I want to do this, but I have to do this. He does everything he pleases. Nothing stops him. Nothing constrains him. No one's holding a gun to his head. Nobody's threatening God. God does whatever he pleases. His word reigns supreme. He answers to no one. He's there with absolute authority. To your blessing or to your hurt. So be not hasty in his presence. Don't question his reality. Don't think that by negotiating terms with him, you can kind of land at a better place than he holds all the cards. <laughs> Suddenly Steve Jobs and all kinds of it's done. Okay. Um So he does whatever he pleases. His word is supreme. He answers to no one. He determines what is to be and the way it is to be. Even, I found it interesting in the text, look with me, where he talks about um, verse three, where he talks about don't take your stand in an evil cause. Um, The centered kind of defining what that evil cause is, is the king himself. In other words, there's not kind of this neutral law out here and, and you shouldn't disobey this neutral law with out regards to the king. No, no. In, in the context, it's specifically talking about rebelling against the authority of the king. In other words, the king determines what's good and what's evil. The king is the center of the universe. Center of the universe. His word is the measuring stick on what, what a good cause is or an evil cause is. He is absolute in his authority. Lots of sounds. And we hate this. Oh, we hate this. We hate it with every bone in our body. We want to reign supreme. We've we've constructed an entire governmental system. And I'm glad it's this one and not England's or this are close. But um where we can be our own king, the people are king. We we rule, we get to determine what's right and wrong. We get to do whatever is right in our own eyes. We set the course for our lives. Our word reigns supreme, at least for us. We hate this. We hate the reality that we have to answer to one with absolute authority. And we think we can redefine reality by by changing governmental systems or by changing kind of how we think about God or stripping away the parts of God that we don't like. So we like this God. He's a grandfatherly God. He's nice. He'll walk with me. He'll be my buddy. Take care of me. We don't like that part of God. The the part of God that that, that Solomon's talking about here with his, his reign and his rule and his absolute monarchical authority. Oh, we hate it. But if you don't see it, if you don't see him first as king, as Lord, as answerable to no one, you'll never get to the place that Solomon has been hammering over and over and over again, fear. 
And if you never get to fear, you'll never see the desperate need that you have for grace. And if you never see your desperate need for grace and the sheer majesty of who God is and his power and his authority, you'll never know wonder. What it means to stand before God with absolute power, with absolute authority, who says over and over and over again that he loves you. He's for you. And so our bones cry out against this. We hate it. We want to build entire lives that are constructed according to our word, according to our authority, according to what we want reality to be like. And then we look at the world and we find that it's reinforced to us, right? And so this is where he goes next. And he says, then I saw the wicked buried, verse 10. They used to go in and out of the holy place. We see wicked men walking in here. Maybe you recognize the fact that you're a wicked man, that you you sin, you have very few thoughts of God, you you don't even consider God during the week, Um, you do life however you want it, and you walk in and out before his presence, you you go through life constantly ignoring him, uh, not not repentant, not believing in him, not worshiping him, not giving any two cents about his word, and you're still alive. You had a good lunch today. And you randomly put VCU in your bracket. (laughs) Things are going well for you. Really well, if you put VCU in your bracket this far. Like amazingly well. And and you see righteous people, godly people, who fear God, who who obey God, who who love the word of God, who who memorize the scriptures, who who worship him, who who serve the poor, who've been their whole life, it seems like, to to acknowledge and live life before God and before his face. And they die young and and horrific things happen to them and they don't have a penny. They can't barely pay their bills. They struggle in and out. And so you look at the world and it seems to reinforce the idea that, that in the end, you won't answer to this king. I see, the evil, I see the evil man, the man who doesn't fear God, the man who doesn't acknowledge God, the, the woman who, who could care less about God and what he says to her. Who doesn't care about his word and she just keeps on living. He won't die. Just makes more money. Or keeps on doing whatever he wants all the time, never stopping, never answerable to anyone. And so our bones cry out against this. We hate this. We hate the the reality that there's a God that we'll answer to, a God with absolute authority, with no court of appeals. We hate that. We try to construct lives of our own where we set the rules. We define what's good and what's evil. We define what the word love means. And then we look out at the world and we see everywhere, Countless millions, thousands give barely a thought to God and his word. They're doing fine. They're eating fine. Their kids seem happy, well-adjusted. Their job seems to be going well. They seem perfectly happy and oblivious. Um, Jenny and I spent the last week in San Francisco for a anniversary, 10th anniversary trip. Our anniversary wasn't this week, but January is just a bad time to travel. 
anywhere. So we went this week. And so we went to San Francisco. And we went to the height. I've heard it pronounced the hate and the height. I'm going to go with height. You can all make fun of me. Hate. Okay, went to the hate. Sounds more ominous. Anyway, went to the hate. <laughs> and um, Jenny uh, was looking at consignment shops, very trendy consignment shops. Um, and I was hanging out at um, Coffee for the People. And um, and uh, it's like block from the hate Asbury corner, with big famous T-shirts and stuff. And and um, and uh, it was one of the most interesting places I've ever spent two hours in my life. Um, I got into multiple conversations. One lengthy conversation with a guy in his late fifties, um, for whom the revolution continued. Um, <laughs> who uh, didn't want to talk to me anymore after I was a pastor. Um, but the initial conversation was really interesting to me. Here, here's a guy who spent his whole life um, free sex, lots and lots and lots of drugs. So many drugs, in fact, that you could, he doesn't really need to do anymore. He's just there permanently, <laughs> like permanently fixed in a state of acidish, trippish, trip. Um, he had multiple conversations with people who weren't there while I was there. And I got really confused. Um, but he's happy. I mean, things, it could be better, probably. But he lives in a cool city. Neighborhood considered one of the, I mean, it's, depends on your taste. If you like kind of post-acid uh, trip neighborhoods, then this was your neighborhood. Um, I kind of liked it. Um, <laughs> lives there. Seemed to have a lot of friends. Um, I think he got his coffee for free. Absolutely ignorant of God. And willfully ignorant. I don't mean ignorant like he's just dumb. I mean, God was smart. But no regard for God, no need for God, no... no no thought that God actually mattered. He seems to be doing fine. And, and so Solomon says that, that we, we look at that. That we look at that reality which surrounds us, right? People for whom they, they've ignored God their whole life, they don't fear Him at all. The... the the pressing reality that someday they will stand before this God and give an account for their lives. They will give an account for every conversation, every thought in which they have conspired to rebel against the God who is king to build their own lives. All of us have done that, really. And so we look around and we see people who they seem a lot like us. They, 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 you, you know your thoughts. This, this bent rebellion against the authority, the, the, the reality of God, that I, this complete ignoring of the fact that one day I will stand before him and give an account of every thought, every word, every deed that I have lived, that, that my life that in so many ways has been bent on asserting my own authority and determining my own course and, and establishing what right and wrong is for myself. 
quite apart from what God has decreed, that someday I have to give an account for that. And we see people everywhere who don't tremble at that fact, who don't care about that fact, who could really care less. And Solomon says, we hate that fact, and we see that fact, and we see this happening all around us. People are ignoring that. And it speeds us to do evil. To, to live like we'll never give an account. We'll never have to answer for anything. That, that, that there is no God to be trembled before. That there is no God who's, who's there, who's given a word, who's given a command that we've rebelled against. That, that, that we should obey, that we should come under, that we should cry out for mercy at all. We ignore that. We see other people ignoring that. And we think, hey, let bygones be bygones. Let, let's just live our life and not worry so much about what's after And so Solomon looks out under the sun and he sees everywhere evil men who give no account, men who go in and out of the, of the holy place, the place uh, in Solomon's day where God's presence dwelt. They stand before God, they make sacrifices, they sing their psalms, they go home, they, they do whatever they want, they do evil things, horrific things, and they come back the next day and, and then they die and they're given this magi- majestic burial because they made the right contributions to the temple. And we see that and we say, where is God? And Solomon says to us, it's vanity. In other words, don't build a life on that observation. He says, I know this, that it will go well with those who have feared God, but those who haven't, evil men, it will not go well with them. Solomon's cry to us again and again and again is if all you go by is what you see under the sun, you miss everything that's happening in the universe. There is a God who is king. There's a God who is king who answers to no one, who does whatever he pleases, who gives a command. And it must be followed. There's a God who how you respond to him, how you respond to his commands, how you interact with him, that determines the goodness or the evilness of a life. And that all of us will stand before this God and give an account. And what we have to feel right now, what I'm pleading with God that you would feel right now is a twinge of fear. Some of you are so numb to that fact that you you float through life as as if you will never stand before him. You don't fear the God who Solomon describes. You don't tremble for the fact that you will give an account to him. That rebellion and an offense against this God, ages upon ages of hell, are nothing to his infinite majesty and his worth. You don't live before his face, you don't 
see him first and foremost as a king? Is he a friend? Yes. Jesus says that we, we've been made brothers with Jesus. But that's precious only insofar as you see there's something to be afraid of. There's something to be terrified by. And so you don't see him as king. You don't see him as Lord. You don't see him as someone to be answered to. You don't see him as, as, as the absolute being in the universe who, who may have some higher commitment than your personal circumstantial happiness right now. There may be something else going on in this universe besides that, that, that job advancement that you want or, or everything kind of working out the way you want it to in your life. So we don't tremble before this God. And because we don't tremble before this God, we, we've lost all sense of wonder, all sense of awe. We don't live before his face. We don't live in his presence. And so the reality is, say, a text like Revelation 4 and 5 that talk about what it means to live life before the very throne of this God. We've lost all sense of it in our life. We don't recognize the fact that we stand before the God of the universe and he sings over us to do us good. We think that those two ideas belong together. So our hearts don't soar at the thought of grace anymore. Because we're not afraid of what's there without it. So we look at circumstances, we see the world, and we see evil men going off scot-free. Our bones hate the authority of God. And so we redefine life how we want it to be. We redefine God how we want him to be. And so we lose fear, we lose wonder, we lose grace, and in the end, we ultimately lose worship itself. If you have a Bible, turn over to 2 Peter chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, you should take one from in front of you. Take it home if you want it. Second Peter chapter 3, um, Peter says this. Knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. That's what scoffers do. They come with scoffing. Angry people come with anger. Happy people come with happiness. And scoffers come with scoffing. And, and, and these scoffers, they, they follow their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were before the beginning of crea- from, from the beginning of creation. Sounds familiar? That men will arise and men will begin to think in their heads and, and tell everyone else, like, hey, there's no day of reckoning. There's no day of judgment. There's, there's no day when we have to stand before God and give an answer for the lives that we led. Like, where is he? Ever since the very, very beginning, things have just gone on like normal. Evil men keep doing evil and nothing bad happens to them. Good people do good and some of them die early and have horrible lives, like sad lives, really sad lives. And, and after all, where is this day? Where is this great day of, of God's judgment? Where is this great day when, when all that the prophets warned us about, when, when all that the Bible told us that we should be wary of, when is this day going to actually happen? When is it going to come? It hasn't come. It's, where is it? What, where? 
I can do whatever I want. I can dance a jig. I don't get struck dead. And I should, by the way I dance a jig. Everything seems fine. Quit worrying so much. Scoff. I don't know what a scoff sounds like, so I'll just say scoff. Scoff. So Peter says, they will arise and they'll say these sorts of things. Things like what Solomon says that we would look around and see and say. For they deliberately overlook this fact. That the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. A word that reigns supreme. That creates out of nothing. And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. He's talking about Noah and the flood. That by a word, God spoke a word of judgment and a flood covered everything. And killed everything. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Peter's answer to Solomon's observation and our observation is uh, don't scoff. What you see is patience. When you see evil going unpunished, You're beholding the mercy of God, withholding judgment, longing, crying out to, anticipating the day that men would turn and fear him. That the men would turn and cry out for grace. When you see long-suffering, when you see another day and another day and another day, and and no answer to the evil that, that, that flourishes around us and in us, when you see that, Peter's answer to you is, don't forget this one fact. A day is definitely coming. But the fact that it hasn't arrived yet should, should, should cause you to rejoice and give thanks that God is patient and long-suffering and merciful. And he wants you to repent. He wants you to turn and find mercy and find grace. So tonight, I want want to go back to Ecclesiastes and I want to end here. And I want to say this. We we kick against this idea of a God and the picture of a God that we must fear, that we must tremble before. A God with absolute authority, a God with power to our hurt. We kick against that and we kick against it to our destruction. Because if you destroy fear, you destroy wonder. If you destroy wonder, you destroy grace. If you destroy grace, then all you're left with is is what you see around you. See, the, the amazing thing about the fear of God, an appropriate fear of God, is it destroys the fear of man. Man gets his appropriate place because you recognize that we live before the God of the universe and we'll answer to him. Not me, not your wife, not your husband, not your boss. In the end, you stand and give an answer to God and God alone. An appropriate understanding of the fear of God, it it destroys religion. We talked about this last week. 
Until you see God rightly as king to be worshipped, to, to be bowed before, to be submitted to, then you'll still think somehow, if I can be good enough, if I can earn something with this God, maybe I can leverage him a little bit. Maybe I can get what I want out of this deal. But, but you see, when you see God rightly, you see that that's absolute folly. And if you see that you stand before this God, you live your life before this God, and if this God who holds absolute authority has rescued you with the blood of Jesus, fear stripped of judgment gives rise to worship. And what we have in the Bible is a God worthy of your worship. A God who rules all things by the power of his word. A God to be trembled before. But as you tremble, he calls you son, he calls you daughter. And he calls you to himself that you might worship him and know him and be redeemed and forgiven by him. And so let fear cry out for mercy and find it. And find it specifically in the cross of Jesus. And as that fear finds mercy, let it, let it turn into a song. Let it turn into wonder. That this God, this God to be trembled at, loves you. He calls you his son, his daughter. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would wake us up. You're not far off and distant. You're not aloof. And you're not our buddy. That you rule all things by the word of your power. That you reign. That you give an answer to no one. That you do all that you please. And you, you were pleased to rescue us and redeem us. But God, I pray that we would tremble before you first. And then that we, in our fear, in our trembling, in our acknowledging of your absolute authority, would find grace and mercy sweet, precious beyond words. So God, come, and, and, and for those here who need to tremble, God, I pray they would tremble. For those who have only seen you as some sort of angry old man, God, I pray that they would see that in your righteousness in your power in your authority you have rescued us by the blood of jesus you've forgiven us of all of our sins if we will only cling to him for those who are numb tonight god i pray that your power that your bigness that your authority would become vivid again in the name of jesus we pray amen if you're a follower of jesus we invite you to come to this table and participate in this meal with us um uh, Take the bread, dip it in the wine, and receive God's mercy and grace.